I hope this finds you well physically, emotionally, and spiritually. We are in very trying times, and the Meaningful Life Center, as its name promises being a spiritual wellness center, trying to rise to the occasion and offer empowering resources in these challenging times. This program will be speaking about when your reality is no longer real. And the program is dedicated in honor of the birthday of Bonnie Lee Kellogg. May she continue to be a shining star. Especially in our days, we need all of us to be shining stars to offer each other and everyone we come in contact with, not in physical contact today, in spiritual contact, through technology and through all other means, love, warmth, encouraging words. Because just as the virus attacks our physical systems, loneliness and despair and, and um, fear and uncertainty attacks our spiritual and psychological health. So one of the most common things I've been hearing and I've been hearing a lot from different people during these challenging times, is that my reality is no longer real. Everything I relied on, my job, my commute, my children going to school, the routines, the patterns, my income, my health, have all suddenly been stripped away. It's all uncertain on every possible level. And people are still trying to adjust because we're literally just in the early weeks of this um, pandemic. My reality is no longer real. So I want to talk about that because in many ways that lies at the heart of the emotional and psychological and spiritual challenge we're facing. So of course we want to always begin as I said, and I say it again, is with a blessing for health for every individual. Because above all, we need health. We need to be protected in every possible way from this coronavirus attacking us in the first place. And those that have already been infected, may God bless you that you come to quick, speedy, and complete recovery. But as long as it's still with us, we have to do everything possible to protect ourselves, our families and children, everyone around us, and then hence listen to every instruction to the T from our medical and health authorities and uh, organizations. But at the same time, there's also our attitude. As I've been saying, and I repeat again, we may not have complete control of what's going on around us, but we have complete control of what's going on inside us. But we have faced a big challenge. The challenge is my reality. Everything I relied on, the institutions, the equities, the comfort zones, the security blankets. You know, we all have built, we've built up things we rely on, the things we depend on. Some of them we take completely for granted. And all of them are now being upended, upset. So there's no question that it's not only disrupting us physically, it's disrupting us emotionally. When suddenly everything that was a routine yesterday is no longer that routine, it has to unnerve you. It has to be extremely uh, extremely, um, challenging. 
But I want to go back to that line. My reality is no longer real. When our reality is no longer real. Because, interestingly, while this was unfolding, if that's the right word to use, I give, as some of you may know, a daily class every morning in a very profound Hasidic discourse. It's a mystical discourse. And interestingly, in the last few months, now the class, of course, is not happening live because of all the, the, the quarantining and the, and the need to be separate. The theme that we were discussing literally a few weeks ago was exactly that. What is reality? What is reality? And that's what I would like to challenge each one of us to ask that question, especially now. Now, as I said, a month ago, most of us would not have asked that question. My reality is very straightforward. I wake up in the morning, hopefully in a very beautiful, comfortable bed and home, make myself a coffee, I exercise, I shower, I speak with my loved ones, with my children, with my spouse, and I have my plan for the day. Go to Either if I'm working, I'm going to work, and I have a schedule at work, and then there's lunch, then there's the afternoon, then there's the evening. If you don't go to work, what do you do at home? I'm shopping, I'm traveling, etc. We all had our trajectories, our game plan. That would be the definition of reality. If someone asks you now, what is your reality, my reality? All that I cannot do. I can't go to work. My children are not going to school. I can't even go out to shop. I have to stay indoors because I may have the virus, may not have the virus. Either way, depending where you are, I'm sequestered. So I'm looking for ways to stimulate myself, and it's not easy. I have the children nagging me, and I have all kinds of other challenges. So some people are escaping in one way, and others, most of the people are just simply going crazy. I don't mean in a literal sense, but they're going mad. Because the whole reality, the entire comfort zone, the entire pattern of our schedules has been disrupted. But this forces us to ask the question, this behooves and compels us to ask the most important question of all. What is reality? Was that your reality? Just because it was your schedule and your pattern and you were comfortable with it and you relied on it doesn't necessarily make it reality. It could, you could say it was my reality. It was my subjective structure of my life. But a time like this, and this is, I'm not saying it as a positive, but it's one of the necessary must things we must do is relook, revisit, recalibrate our entire perspective, what is reality? Because when we do that, we can regain an equilibrium and balance in life. So we look at what we thought was reality, and we look at what is true reality. And that is, my friends, the themes in these discourses that I mentioned. So I'm not going to go into the esoteric elements of it, the more abstract. I want to speak about it in a more practical way. So my book, Toward a Meaningful Life, which is a book that many people are turning to now when we need inner strength as our outer worlds are going through with their challenges. So my book, I have a book, chapter, Toward, in, book, Toward a Meaningful Life, the chapter on God. So I asked that question exactly that, what is reality? And let's do it through a process of elimination. Let's begin from the outside and work our way in. So as I mentioned, most people's definition of reality is their schedule. Has nothing necessary to do with any philosophical or theological or deeper understanding of reality, so to speak, on an existential and cosmic level. But rather, my reality is my daily reality. 
my schedules, my, my uh, responsibilities, people's expectations, my job, my work, my home, my hobbies, my uh, travel. We have our list. My recreational activities, entertainment activities, sports, intimacy, my romantic pursuits. You name the list. Not getting into now whether how important it is a prioritize. To put it in simpler terms, if someone were to say, what is my reality? My reality is what I can experience empirically right in front of me. What that means is, it's called sensory stimulation. That which my eyes can see, my ears can hear, my nose can smell, my taste can taste, and my touch can touch. The five senses. Sight, sound, taste, touch, and smell. I hear, just as an aside, that one of the symptoms of the virus, the coronavirus, COVID-19 as they're calling it, is a loss of taste and smell, two of those five senses. So interestingly, I have also also suffering from that. Hopefully it will go away very shortly. So two of the five senses that are so fundamental to our external stimuli that stimulate us are actually right now shut down by many of us. But we're left, thank God, with our sight, sound, and touch. So that would be someone's reality. What I see, what I hear, what I taste, I touch, and smell. Which, of course, really captures the entire spectrum of human conscious experience. Is that reality? Well, it sounds like that. But then think again. How about love? You can't taste love. You can't touch it. You can't smell it. You can't see it. You can't hear it. You can hear expressions of love. You can see someone you love. You can look at a loving gaze. But those are expressions. Love itself is not confined or contained or defined by sensory instruments, sensory tools. What about truth? What about your soul? What about your feelings, emotions? Now, love, there's also other feelings. Even now, feelings of fear, of concern, of uncertainty. These are all not defined and quantified by our senses. So you say, okay, my reality has now expanded also to things that are not sensory, but I have other tools to experience them. I feel love. I feel concern. And my mind, my ideas, I can't see them. I can't taste them. I can't touch or smell them or hear them, but I sense that they exist. So there's another form of experience. Is that where reality ends? And the answer is no. Because reality continues to go deeper and deeper to the point where there are things that you may not even be able to be conscious of. So if someone were to say to you, reality means that you need to experience it? Isn't that more experiential reality? As opposed to true reality? There are many things happening in the world that we completely have no, no, no idea of. If I were to ask you, have you ever seen a, a, an atom or subatomic particles? Do you know that those are the building blocks of all of existence? So today, this is not a matter of faith. This is a matter of fact. But no one's ever seen an atom. That image we see in the school books that looks like a cluster of grapes, black and white, which are neutrons and the protons and electrons, which are like the electrical impulses that go around, are just a usable um, model, so we should be able to visualize it. But no one's ever seen atoms, and yet we know it defines everything. Atoms create molecules, the molecules in turn create the elements, and elements, there's something that we experience on the empirical level. So that which we spoke about empirically its true reality is not even exposable to the eye. And there you can't even 
in a sense, when I said the mind and the heart, you can at least feel or sense that you're thinking or comprehending. But here we're talking about realities that are completely invisible in every possible way to all, in every possible way to all our senses. And the same thing on another level. The cell, let's think of it the cellular level, DNA, genetic makeup of our beings. Again, the building blocks of the human being. And yet, completely not experienced through any of our senses. We need to read about it. We need to study it. And scientists can show you how they came to it. But a lot of it is through extrapolation, by digging to a point that you can't see it, but you can extrapolate my point that I'm making here is that we never had to f- ask that question, what is reality, because everything was going smoothly. When things are going smoothly and you're not shaken up and there's no challenge, there's no cracks in your system, hey, why do I need to wonder? Why do I need to dig? We can live on the superficial comfort and feeling secure with whatever is there before us. When it's suddenly the carpet is pulled out from under you and you don't feel that, then you say to yourself, either you lose totally control which can, of course, drive a person completely insane. Or you say, one second, there's another reality. There are another many dimensions of reality that I, I must turn to. And that's where we find our solace. And that's where we find our strength. Those of us who already have that inner reality at work, it's not difficult. Because when one channel is shut down, you immediately go to another one, like what they say about investments, even though maybe that's not a good time to talk about investments, diversification. If your entire nest egg, if everything is in one, all your eggs are in one basket, that basket's taken away, I'm left with nothing. A person who lives completely on a sensory level and everything is only their stimulation, take away stimulation, they'll say, I'm a zombie, I'm dead, I might as well be dead. But if a person says, one minute, I have other resources. It's true, I also function on a sensory level in the things I see and hear and taste, touch and smell. But I have a whole other reality and I've developed it. Those that have developed that, not difficult for them to simply turn there. It's like saying, okay, you know what? I'm not getting stimulated on this level. I'll get stimulated on that level. People who truly have a healthy balance between their inner and their outer are going to find it easier this doesn't mean there aren't concerns. It doesn't mean that they're not at risk as everybody else is to the exposure to the virus, to the coronavirus. But they have the resource of being able to turn to that. And that's whether you're a person who already has that in place or you're a person that needs to get that in place, either way we need to work on it now because that's the focus. What does that inner reality look like? And as you'll discover, it's not just an alternative. It's like, you know what, okay, I don't have uh, my, uh, my uh, Netflix, so I'll go to my YouTube. No, this isn't about whether I have one basket or another basket. This is also coming to appreciate that these deeper inner realities are deeper realities, and they're far more real, and far more absolute, and far more enduring, and permanent than our outer realities, which are far more temporary and, um, and uh, temporal and temporary and impermanent. So to f- build security and to build, stru- to build security and to build uh, a strength upon something that is temporary, you tell me what that sounds like. So we not only have an opportunity to find new stimulation, we have an opportunity to find real stimulation and one that is far, far more enduring, not even comparable. So what does this inner reality look like? Now that we're talking, what does it look like? And how can I access it? 
So using the examples I've given so far, the subatomic world or the world of the DNA are invisible to the eye. Yes, it's true. But here's the irony. The more powerful, the more real these building blocks are, the less we experience them on the outer superficial, with the outer superficial tools of our lives. Now that sounds like somewhat strange. Why would that be the case? You could say, fine, I can be distracted, seduced by my, what I see, what I hear, and neglect my inner life, neglect what really matters, which many, happens very often. People get distracted, and they forget the people they love. They take them for granted. You can make that argument, fine. But why should I not be able to experience that inner reality with my outer tools? Well, this is where the mystics come in and they explain because for reality to exist as we know it, an independent consciousness, it requires, it's predicated on a concealment of that inner reality. So let me just use a a practical example. The mystics teach that when you see something, it's never what you see is never what you get. Everything has a deeper energy, spiritual level root of whatever symptom you're experiencing. And this, by the way, is true also with illness. There's symptomatic illness, which means you deal with the symptoms. You have a cut, you put a Band-Aid. You have a headache, you take a uh, painkiller. These are symptomatic. Then there's dealing with things on the root level. Okay, the preventive medicine. Or on the root level. The root is always more concealed from the outer dimension. So there is a certain dichotomy between the outer and the inner. The outer, for it to be able to be real, if it was constantly aware of the inner, it wouldn't really be able to have an independent consciousness. If we individuals were constantly cognizant and aware of the inner realities that shape and define who we, be, we, we are, we would never be able to feel independent egos. So there's a level of concealment between, we'll call it the supra-subatomic and supra-conscious reality to the conscious, tangible reality. And to just give an example, which I've done many, very often, it's a very practical example, but it teaches us a fascinating paradox. If someone were to ask you to speak about the weather, about sports, about something very superficial, you can speak about it for hours and hours. Just look at talk radio. If someone were to ask you, can you speak about yourself? Tell me something, your most intimate feeling. Most of us won't have words. And not because we don't trust and are ashamed to share those feelings. Because when you're dealing with inner feelings, the more intimate they are, the less expression we have. Now that seems like a paradox. Why? Because when it comes to things that are superficial, okay, at some point you should run out of words. How much can you talk about something like the weather, it's raining outside? But when it comes to inner things that are so close to your heart and soul, you should go on and on and on without any limitations. And it's not the way it is. The answer for that is, for this paradox, is because words are containers. And containers have parameters. They have limits. You can only put that much liquid in a one-quart container. You can put a one-quart of liquid. You want to put more liquid, you need a bigger, larger container. Words are limited containers. So they're perfect for limited expressions. Want to talk about the weather or something else superficial? No problem. Talk and talk. We can talk and talk more and talk more and more about less and less. To paraphrase a different expression. When it comes to more intimate feelings, things that really are close to your heart, there you're not just dealing with something that is superficial. There, words are just simply inadequate. The containers are too small. 
That's why you don't find enough words and say, I can't really express myself. I can't express how much I love you. I can't express how afraid, af- afraid I am. Why can't you express it? Because words are limited containers. So then what do we do? We create a new language. It's called the language of metaphor, poetry. We suddenly are able to use metaphorical expressions that broaden the containers and allow for more intense and intimate feelings to be expressed. But then there's a point where you also reach a limit. And you can't express that either. So then it always, always sometimes comes down to a cry. A cry, a sigh, a laugh. <laughs> what do those expressions do? They broaden the containers even further because they're not limited to words, they're not limited to metaphor. It's just a cry. And that allows for an expression of a deeper feeling. You say, oy vey, that comes from the deepest kishkes, the innards of a person, has sometimes more than entire volumes. And the deeper you go, the less expression, the deeper the energy that's being expressed. So the words of the Kabbalists, it goes like this. The, the larger the containers, the smaller the energy. The greater the energy, the smaller the container. To the point that there are things that can't even be expressed with a cry or with a laugh. It's with silence itself. In a negative way, when you hear about people who've been in shock, some trauma, there's a point they can't even cry. They can't even express themselves. They're completely shocked. That moment of trauma is so intense, even a cry is, is too much. is too inadequate, I should say, of a container. There comes a point where they're able to begin to cry, they begin to express, to the point they can even speak about it. But that can take a lot of time. What do you see with this interesting paradox? The more real something is, the, the more real something is, the less expressive it is. If you think about it, it's very uh, unsettling the first time you hear that. Because you say to yourself, one second, does that mean that my entire reality as I know it, the more I know about it, the less I really know about reality? Yeah. You may have heard it here first, but that's a fact. The more you know about something, the more you're aware of something, the more you can express something, the less real it truly is. So you'll say, one second, so how do I deal with that? So how can we ever experience and access true reality? You need other tools, my friends. You need a very different tool. You can't use the same tools. I want to use the example from Sir Edward Eddington. Or Arthur, I'm sorry, Sir Arthur Eddington. One of the physicists in the mid-20th century. And he was asked the question, we've never seen subatomic particles. How do you come to all these quantum mechanic bizarre conclusions? And the scientists were coming to these bizarre conclusions that they could not make sense of. It was defying every rule of logic every mathematical equation, but they kept seeing the same results and they couldn't deny it. How do you come to these weird conclusions? For example, one conclusion that nothing is deterministic in the subatomic level. It's an indeterministic reality. Niels Bohr called it a world of probabilities. In Newtonian physics, in very straightforward macroscopic physics, things are very clear. Every time you do something, there's always cause and effect, action, reaction. How do you come to these conclusions? Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. You can never know simultaneously the position and the velocity of a subatomic particle. Why not? Is it just lack of knowledge? No, it's fundamental that way. And on and on. All kinds of bizarre conclusions on that microscopic level. How do you know? How could you come to conclusions to such bizarre counterintuitive conclusions of matters we've never seen? And he gave a brilliant example. He gave an example of a fisherman who spread his net across all the seas. 
and gathered all types of fish, different species, different shapes, different colors, different sizes, and documented, document, document. After a while, he came to a conclusion, after he looked at all his data, throwing the fish back into the sea, there are no fish in the sea that are shorter than a half inch long. You hear a conclusion of a scientist. His little, before he was about to make this big announcement to the wizards of the world, his little daughter, who heard his great conclusion, said, there are no fish in the sea shorter than a half inch long. I myself have seen fish like that. And she looked at the net that he used, the fisherman used, and the net had spaces between the ropes of the net that were short, that were not more than a half inch, that were larger, that were, the spaces were a half inch spaces. So what do you think happened to the fish that were smaller than half inch? They fell back into the water. He never caught them. So the conclusion he had to just add was one line. When you use a net with half inch spaces, you will never catch fish that are shorter than half inch long. But you don't need a fish, you don't need a scientist for that. You don't need a fisherman, you don't need anyone for that. You don't even need a test. What was his point? Yes, we don't see subatomic particles when you use a certain net. It's all about the instruments. You're going to use limited instruments, you'll experience limited reality. You want to discover a deeper reality, an inner reality, you need to use different instruments. The analogy I often give with a farmer from Chelem. Chelem was this town in Poland, small little town. They say they were very wise people, but the neighbors were resentful. So they created this folklore of the fools of Chelem. But there are tremendous psychological insights we can learn from these fools of Chelem. And one of them is from the farmer of Chelem. So Chelem was a small town, you can imagine. And the farmer of Chelem was even smaller. But it was his farm. He had inherited from his parents and his grandparents and great-grandparents. He knew every grain of soil. It was like his baby. One day, he gets a visit from a big city American farmer. Thousands of acres of farmland. And he sits down with him. They sit down and gives him a royal tour of his, uh, of his farm in Chelem, this little farm in Chelem. They sit down to dinner. And the cousin says to, his, uh, to the large town city farmer, tell me, so what do you think about my farm in Chelem? He says, it's very nice and cute, but it's tiny. The Chelem farmer's taken aback. Tiny? How big is your farm back in, the, in Iowa? My farm? How am I supposed to explain to you the farm? You know how large my farm is? So he's thinking to himself, how is he going to explain this to a small town farmer who's never seen anything close? The whole city of Chelem, or maybe all of Poland, not exactly, is smaller than his farm. So he says to him, my cousin, I'll tell you how large my farm is. It takes me all day to travel with my tractor from one end of the farm to the other end. He thought that would satisfy him. The Chelem farmer looks at him with compassion and empathy and mercy even. Says to him, ah, cousin, don't feel so bad. I once had a, a, a tractor like that too. I once had a tractor like that too. What's the point? The Helen farmer couldn't even fathom such a size farm. So when he hears it took him all day to travel, for sure the problem is with a vehicle. He had a Shmata Jalopy tractor himself that took him all day to crank up to move from here to here, from here to here. So he was convinced that was the problem. You had no idea when something, when you've never seen the broad horizon, you lived in a very, in a, in a myopic reality, then the broad horizon is not even possible in your mind. So you say, okay, it's large, but how large can it be? Now this Helen Farmer wasn't being cute. 
and wasn't being malicious. He was what we're all being. He was being subjective, which is his reality. What he's that he knew. If someone were to ask you a question, do you think you're open-minded, closed-minded, or narrow-minded? Do you know someone that's going to check the box and say I'm narrow-minded and closed-minded? No, because we're all subjective people. But our subjectivity makes us think we're objective. The only thing you need to acknowledge is that maybe there's a reality that's beyond your fathoming, your perception, something you've never experienced. Not only have you never experienced it, but it's so beyond you that you can't even imagine that it should be that way. That's what Sir Eddington was demonstrating, and that's what I'm trying to emphasize here. That the true realities are not subject to the tools and the instruments that we're so accustomed to. So when things... So when things are going more or less normal, as I said, normal quota, you can get away with living on the surface level. And here's my realities, my sensory realities, my work realities, my home realities, my travel, my plans, my schedules, my structure, my crutches, my security blankets, my comfort zones, and so on. But then when that's stripped away, there's only one alternative. I don't want to mention the alternative, because if you think that's it, that's like the Chalam farmer coming to realize there's no such thing that, 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 this, that I, my farm is completely meaningless compared to uh, the, that size farm. That can be very, very, uh, very what's the word, uh, besides unnerving, it's a word that can be completely disconcerting and, and sometimes even worse, demoralizing. But when that happens, the way the option is, and that's what I'm suggesting, the only option is to realize there's another reality right here. Who would have thought in the 21st century in the year 2020 vision, 20 years into the new century, with everything ahead of us, technology booming forward, exploding, medicine advances, the longevity, age expectancy growing, conquering all kinds of illnesses, you name it, the breathtaking breakthroughs that we've all been experiencing, growth of finance, of economy, of a travel, comfort, Standard of living, healthcare, and suddenly a microbe, small as a microbe, a minuscule microbe, comes out of the blue and has completely upended the entire world, upside down. That is extremely, extremely demoralizing, extremely disconcerting in every possible way. I'm looking for the right word. I don't even have the right words. Because everything that we saw was real. Everything that we relied on. Everything that seemed like was in our control to some extent. No. So option one is you lay down and die, God forbid. You say, okay, you know what? That's that. That's life. Some people committed suicide after the stock market crash in the, in the 20s. I don't even want to mention it. Because that was their only reality. I can't fathom it. But that was their only reality. Their honor their power, their influence was all bound on how much money they had or how much pe- money their people think they had. Perceptions. My friends, there's a whole other reality at work. And now there's no one on earth that can deny that because no one is in control of this. We still don't even know where this is going. So this is, as you could see it as a, fear, a statement of fear, driving fear and terror and unknown and uncertainty and hysteria and panic. Or you can say, one second, let me dig the other way, direction, inward. Let me go back. We're told to go home. Go home means physically home, but also spiritually home. Maybe time to go home into your inner soul, into your inner resources, into horizons that you probably never even thought of. 
And some of us may have thought of. Either way. And build and connect to it. That's what we are right now. And there is a reality there that is fascinating. That is remarkable. Astounding. It's like suddenly seeing, going up to the mountain and seeing horizons you never even saw before. You could never have seen it a month ago, two months ago, because your superficial outer reality distracted you. Now, I'm not suggesting, I wish we could all go back to that reality. Much more comfortable, much less dangerous, much less threatening, and so on. But now that we're here, that's where we can go to and discover a palace. Palaces of spiritual horizons that, yes, are not subject to the same rules. That doesn't mean you have to close your eyes, your ears, your taste, touch, and smell. It means you have to realize they're limited tools that can help you experience. Like, listen, for example, listen to music is a perfect example. You're listening with your ears, but you're listening to something that's transcendent, that transcends your ears. So now is an opportunity to use our sensory tools and everything that we've relied on to experience deeper realities. So I'm not suggesting all that's gone. What's gone is the securities that that seemingly and frankly in an illusionary way created. Some people are referring and saying, you know what, this idea, is, I thought of some, I've heard somewhere, you know, we're in the matrix. So they realize that the entire reality we knew is a computer program just to, to breed compu- machines. That's an example. It's actually a horrific example, but it's an example. There's a new reality waiting for you. Uh, I wouldn't even say new. A reality that's always been there waiting for you to now discover. I find that to be exciting. Again, I wish it didn't come with pain and with loss and with danger and with health issues and with death, frankly. But there was something extremely powerful about that. That's what we need to be looking at. A new inner reality inside you, inside your loved ones, inside everything in existence. Even inside the work you did, even inside money, even inside the coronavirus. Yes, there's a soul there too. That's gone awry. A distortion. It's not the topic of a discussion right now, but we will be talking about that as well. Because everything has spiritual energy within it, and now is the time to access that energy. And the deeper you go, the more, the more, the, the more sublime it is, and perhaps, yes, you may not have the words, and you may not be able to have the irregular instruments, but it doesn't mean you can't experience it. You experience it with new instruments, just like the, the, the net is only half in spaces, cannot experience something that is more smaller than that, or more minute, I would say, more concentrated, just like the Chelem farmer could not imagine a farm of that size. So we have within us new horizons to discover. And that's true reality. It's a reality that's not defined by our senses. It's not defined by the moment, by the here and now. It's defined, it's real because it's real. To cite the words from the discourse, I didn't mention the discourse, let me mention it now. It's a discourse delivered, began to be delivered in 1912, a little more than 100 years ago. And where we're up to now is the part in 1915, the end of 1915. Interestingly, It's just a few years before the Spanish flu that people are talking about that killed, they say, 50 million plus people back in 1918. So preceding that, and this was very difficult times, we're talking about World War I and and, and the rest of what was going to happen through that century, World War II. But a Rebbe Rashab, the fifth Chabad Rebbe, 
who actually this Friday will be honoring his 100th yard site, 100th anniversary of his passing, 100 years ago, 1920, delivered this magnum opus called Hemshech Ayim Beis, where he discusses what is reality. And that material reality which we know, even though it's real, but it's not truly real. Why? Because it's only the surface. It would be like saying, someone looks at tears coming out of your eyes. So everyone knows tears indicate there's sad feelings or happy feelings. So someone say, are the tears real or are the emotional feelings of sadness real? So the true answer is they're both real. But let's define reality. If someone were to say the tears are the only thing that's real because it's the only thing I see or feel or touch, no, that's not correct. What's more real is the feelings because the tears wouldn't exist if the feelings didn't exist. Take away the feelings, there are no tears. The only thing is the tears we relate to more. Just because you relate to it more, because you can touch it, and it's wet, and it's salty, and you feel it, and see it, that doesn't make it more real. It just means that you relate to it more. You see the distinction? We have to stop worshipping the you relating to it. Who says you are the arbiter of reality? We can say, I experienced like the Helen Farmer should have said, you know, I, my experience is that a, that a tractor travels from here to here because the tractor is broken. He, the truth is, I don't know f- a farm that large. So what we have to be saying is, just because I experience a limited reality, it doesn't make it a limited reality. That would be like someone saying, standing on the ground, looking up at the top of a mountain and telling the guy on top of a mountain, there is no real horizon. The horizon is just a few miles. And he says, what are you talking about? I see a horizon, come up here. And the person says no. He's adamant and stubborn and says no. That's foolish. You can say what I see is only a few miles. But I'm open to the the reality that perhaps this is far more than I see. That's the key thing to remember. When you see the tears, you can say, I see tears. But I understand. Or I could understand there's much more. So when we say what is real reality, it's all real. And the question is, are you seeing the tip of an iceberg or are you seeing a lot more than the tip of the iceberg? So no one's taking away that the material reality is real. It's just saying that it's only the surface level. It's a limited level. And now we have the opportunity to dig inside and discover what makes it tick. What are the subatomic forces? What are the spiritual forces? What are the sub-spiritual forces? What are the superconscious spiritual forces? Both inside our beings, inside the universe, inside the people we love, inside everything going on, including the havoc, because there's an inner soul to that as well. It may be mysterious to us. We may not understand God's mysterious ways. We definitely don't. But when you start thinking that way, you start gaining, regaining control. And the interesting statement is you regain control, you know when? When you let go of control. Because you're not really regaining. Because when you control it with your tools, with your instruments, I see it, I hear it, I taste, I touch, I smell... Or I own it. I own this amount of, uh, this, this equity. This equity. I own this furniture, this property. I own this amount of money. That's what you control. And when that's taken away from you, no, you know what? It's gone now. Then comes a whole different approach. I don't, I don't own anything because reality has allowed me to come and be, and, and be a humble experience of reality. I don't own reality. Reality owns me. I'm a piece of a larger picture. The problem is the ego. Yes, self-centeredness, egocentric focus. I'm the center of it all. And I own and control everything. 
or as much as I can. And when I don't have that control, it's just everything's been lost. What we learn now is, no, that's not the case. You were never in control. You never owned anything. It's an illusion. You have a certain perception, which is limited, but the true control is beyond you. When you let go, and you allow that to understand, appreciate that, and you suddenly see the horizon is much, much larger than you, and you are just one piece of it, then you yourself become part of that larger reality. So in a strange way, letting go, letting go of control allows you to have the deepest control. But not the control that we think. It's not the control that you own the contract or you own the bank account. It's a control that allows you to feel that you're part of something beyond you. And that, in a paradoxical way, makes you much more real. So the inner reality and outer reality are very, very different. One is about an illusion of control, illusion of, I know what I'm doing, I know what's coming tomorrow, my patterns, my structures. Another, no, you don't, you're not in control. But you surrender to that. And your vulnerability allows you to become invulnerable because then you become an extension of a reality that's greater than you are. It would be like somebody thinking that, okay, here's a movie, I'm watching a movie, a film. And there's a scene, I identify with the scene, you know what, it's my story. I say, you know what, I know exactly what's going to happen next because it's my life story. And you start describing, you tell friends, I know this movie, I, I own this, this part of the narrative. And then someone reminds you, you know what, you're only one scene or one frame of this narrative. There's a bigger story here. There are many chapters before you, many chapters after you. And then you step back and you say, you know, that's a good point. Then you realize, you know what, I'm not control of my narrative. There's a bigger narrative going on. And you let go and you realize, I'm piece of a much bigger story that's mysterious even. And when you, can, when you embrace that mystique, you, you embrace that enigma, you embrace that which is the unknown, and then you realize, you know what, and I'm still piece of the story, I've been gifted and blessed to be a piece of it, then you have the humble, you're the humble servant that re- realizes that you're part of a far deeper reality than the one you began with. So ironically, when you thought you were in control, you were really not in control. And when you realize you're not in control, that's when you suddenly become part of the deeper narrative and, in a sense, control. But not control because you control it. Control because now you're significant. You're a significant piece of a bigger story. That, my friends, is the story of what we need to be doing now as we travel inward, when outward, that which is outside, is crumbling, is is um, unknown is uncertain we can't go out there and I don't just mean it physically I also mean it psychologically and emotionally build this inner life your whole reality will change and hopefully very soon all this will be over but you'll come back a new person because then you can re-enter existence you can re-enter civilization re-enter society yes the outer society of the sensory world and the regular parents but now with a newfound wisdom you've seen a deeper truth you've seen the bigger picture and you are part of that bigger picture and hopefully when we go return to that world and things come back what we would call normal it's not normal any longer because we realize all of that is now being informed by everything we've learned that's what we need to really be challenged to realize that's not going to be easy to hold on to because it's so easy to just fall back and say you know what I'm back to my superficial life everything seems normal Hopefully we all can learn from this experience because if not, it would be a disgrace. It wouldn't have been worth it. At least 
all the, ag- the anguish and all the agony and all the aggravation we're going through, to at least say, okay, you know, I've learned about a deeper reality when I was sequestered, when I was quarantined, when I was isolated, when I was forced to leave, forced to leave my usual comfort zones behind and travel inward. And you find a new reality. And there are many dimensions to it. I intend to speak more about this, to give more classes, to talk about that deeper reality. I hope this did some justice to open up those horizons. And they're inside of you. They're tremendous. You will never be the same again once you discover that dimension inside yourself, inside your family, inside the world itself, inside reality. That deeper reality, including even this disruptive state, the coronavirus, and all that it's doing to society. To say one word about that, and a conclusive note, that is what the Kabbalists, the mystics say, that between every trans- in every transition, as we travel from one reality, one level of awareness to another, the only possible way to really create a true transition, if it's going to be worth anything, is there has to be a disruption of the old in order to enter the new. There has to be a disruption of old awareness to enter and, and access new awareness. This new awareness would not be possible if we were just continuing going on the merry-go-round and roller coaster of our lives. Because that would be what consumes us. Again, this is not a justification of what happened. But it's explaining the benefits and opportunities that we can derive of what happened. And that there is the ayin that's called. That between one state of being, which where we were a few weeks ago, a few months ago, to get to a new era of heightened consciousness and heightened awareness and spiritual awareness... We're now in a stage what's called ayin, a vacuum, a void. It's like the seed that needs to rot and deteriorate before it grows into a beautiful plant. You need to melt down a piece of gold to turn it into a beautiful ornament. Mothers go through the pain of birth and pregnancy in order to give birth to a beautiful child. You need to shed one layer of skin to assume a new layer of skin. We all go through the awkwardness of adolescence to grow into adults. Creativity is your child of frustration. The greater the creativity, the greater the frustration that precedes it. You show any area where there was some excellent, where there was a birthing, some excellence grew out of something, you'll have to find a transition that had to crack the egg, shed the layer of skin in order to assume a new higher layer. Because as long as you're still holding on to the past paradigm, to past consciousness, then whatever comes is just an extension of that consciousness. You want something new? There has to be a disruption, a disruption of a previous consciousness. And that's what we're going through, disruption. So we thought technology was disrupting commerce. Amazon was disrupting the entire retail world. Trump was disrupting Washington and politics and economics on all levels. All forms of disruption. You want disruption? Here we have disruption. I wish it wasn't that way. We all pray that it should not affect anyone in any negative way. It should only everyone be healthy. But disruption we have. And it's a disruption that can either lead to a complete shakeup of people's consciousness and psyches and to the point that they become, they're going, they, they, that their, their nerves are frayed and completely overwhelmed. Or we see the disruption, again, in the broader picture. There's a soul beneath the disruption. What does the broader horizon say? What does the broader narrative say of the film? Not just your piece of the film, not just your frame that there's a disruption in order to lead to a higher state of consciousness and awareness. May we use this time well in that way. May everyone remain healthy the best possible way, physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. We're here for you, the Meaningful Life Center. 
especially now focused completely, and as our spiritual wellness center, focused completely on providing, creating, producing, providing, empowering, and indispensable resources in these challenging times. So please access it. We created a special Corona page. You go to MeaningfulLife.com slash Corona. You'll see resources that are being built every day, constantly adding new materials. We just began a daily spiritual antidote, a short three-minute, beautiful, powerful uh, video that you can also download as podcast, as a podcast, which fortifies and, and empowers and your, your and our spiritual, psychological, and emotional immune systems. Be sure to subscribe to that. You go to YouTube, our YouTube channel at MeaningfulLife.com. We have a new playlist, which we're just beginning. You go to our site, MeaningfulLife.com. You'll see all the different platforms where you can subscribe to these daily antidotes, spiritual antidotes, as well as other materials continuously being developed as we go. I'll be doing a few Zoom conferences the next few days for different audiences of students. We'll be doing one next Sunday, which is about um, letting go and letting God and uh, you'll hear more information if you just subscribe to our materials, look at our calendar, and you'll have all the details of all the upcoming resources, especially now that we're all home, to be able to access in a way that you can benefit from it, uh, you and your families and all of us. And may we be healthy and well, and use this opportunity to discover a new reality, the inner, uh, inner eternal and permanent an absolute and immortal reality. Everyone be well and healthy. We're here every... This program is a Wednesday program, which is viewable all the time, but to, we, we uh, unleash it, so to speak. Uh, broadcasted every Wednesday, 8.30 p.m., MeaningfulLife.com. Everyone stay healthy and well, and um, look forward to speak some more. Please don't hesitate, especially in this time, to share thoughts, comments, feedback, ideas, and suggestions. We're open, we're all quarantined, we're, all, we're open to any type of program that you feel can be empowering and helpful to you or your families and friends. And just don't hesitate, please do not restrain, refrain from writing to us, especially at this time. Because though we may be socially distant, we are spiritually and soulfully one and connected and closer than ever. Thank you. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com slash donate.